We would ask that you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number one this morning. What the Bible teaches us in Genesis one is fundamentally important to our biblical worldview for Genesis one teaches us who God is and what God has done in creating all that is. Those who reject the creation account in Genesis chapter one are those who reject the creator. And the great sin of man then becomes worshiping the creation rather, rather than the creator. And unfortunately, that is the, the zeitgeist or the spirit of our age today. But Genesis 1 teaches us that at the conclusion of each creative act, God saw what he had made and he said that it was good. However, following the sixth day and the final day of his creation, when God made man, he saw what he had made and said that it was very good. Genesis 1, verse number 31. This morning, I propose to you, this is printed in your notes, also projected, that the creation of man is distinctly unique from God's other creation. Unlike the creation of animals where God created each animal according to his kind, man was created in God's image and after God's likeness. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You might look ahead to chapter two, verse number seven. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. This Bible teaching provokes the questions in both the the minds of the anthropologist and the theologian. And the questions are this, to what does the image of God refer? To what does the likeness of God refer? In what way is man the image bearer of God? And this morning, rather than an exposition of a single text, I want to present a topical theological study of the image of God and man for its implications have enormous relevance to our lives today. And so this morning, the image of God and man. Let me pause for prayer and then we'll survey the scriptures together. God in heaven, we thank you for your holy word, the Bible. We thank you that it was God-breathed, inspired, that holy men of God wrote as as they were moved by the Holy Spirit to to give us this revelation. And so God, as we, we come to it and we read it, we know that this is what you have spoken, what you have said. These are the things that you have done. And so it teaches us about you and we learn about ourselves as well. God, this morning as we consider the matter of of being image bearers of you from creation. I pray that you would help us to understand and to apply the teaching of the text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We begin this morning with biblical citations for the image of God in man, number one. Biblical citations. Now a Christian anthropology differs greatly from a secular anthropology. That's the study of man. For the Bible declares that God created man in his image and in his likeness, while the world claims that man is a highly evolved or highly developed 
animal species. And so we look to the scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament scripture. We find a declaration of the fact that man is made in God's image and God's likeness. And we can then carefully infer from those citations, from those declarations, a a definition or description of what the image of God in man is. And And I want us to do that this morning. We begin with the Old Testament's teaching. There are three Old Testament passages that I want to highlight for you. They, they declare that man was created in God's image. The first, of course, is before us, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, as I read just a moment ago. Your Bibles are open before you, and as you look at those verses, the significant phrase of these verses, the words that demands our attention, is, is the words, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see it there? Also, so God created man in his own image. What does this mean? The word translated image is the Hebrew salem, meaning statue or image or copy. The word rendered likeness is the Hebrew demuth, meaning likeness, shape, figure, form, or pattern. And in the Hebrew language, there is no conjunction between the two expressions. The Hebrew text simply says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And because of that, we can accept that those two concepts are synonymous, image and likeness, synonymous terms and ideas. Turn the page to Genesis chapter number five. Just a page away, Genesis Five, a second citation of Old Testament teaching regarding this. Number two, Genesis 5, look at verse number one. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. So here in verse number one, we find the phrase in the likeness of God without the word image. However, those two terms and ideas are synonymous. We can assume that there's no difference in their meaning because of Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27. However, it's argued that something happened at the fall when man sinned that somehow the image of God was lost in the fall. Now certainly there was a change in man. He, he now was a sinner. There was a change in the relationship between man and God. However, this text, Genesis 5 verses 1 and 2, occurring after the fall makes no reference to a loss of God's image. Even fallen man is still in the image of God. Note verse number three, Genesis five, verse number three. It says that Adam's son, Seth, was in his own likeness after his image. And we find the very same expressions used for the relationship of God to Adam as Adam to Seth. Turn forward to Genesis chapter nine. That's number three. The third biblical citation, Genesis nine. Look at verse number six. Well, begin looking at verse number one. After the flood, God commanded Noah and his family to replenish the earth. That's verse number one. To subdue the earth. That's verse number two. To enjoy the fruit of the earth. That's verses three and four. However, now in verses five and six, God instituted specific ordinances regarding the protection and preservation of mankind. Now look at verse number six. Genesis nine, verse number six. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed Why? For in the image of God he made man. And because man was made in the image of God, a sacred value is placed upon the life of man requiring death for those who take a man's life. This is namely capital punishment. And its purpose here at this place was not so much to deter 
future crime or future murder, but rather its purpose was to, to make the distinction between the killing of animals and the killing of man because man is different from animal. Man is something special. Even fallen man is created in God's image. So whatever was lost in the fall, it's clear that the quality of being created in the image of God extends beyond the fall. This is the teaching of the Old Testament. Now, let's look to the New Testament. There are only two texts in the pages of the New Testament that directly mention the image of God and man. I'm gonna ask you to turn with me to these texts. The first is 1 Corinthians 11. All the way to your New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. For our purposes today, I would point you to verse number seven. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number seven. The Bible says, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, for our purposes, I'm only using this as a citation. We're not gonna address the notion of head coverings and the meaning of a woman being the glory of man. This verse simply restates that man universally holds the image of God even after the fall. The Greek word there rendered image, it's icon. We understand what an icon is, the Greek icon. It's a, a likeness or a representation or an image. Turn forward again to the book of James, the New Testament book of James, chapter number three. I'll give you James chapter three, verses eight through 10. James three, verse number eight. But no man can tame the tongue It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, with the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made, this is James 3, verse number nine, who have been made in the similitude of God, or your your Bible version might read, in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursings, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. And, And of course, James is addressing the volatile nature and danger of the tongue by declaring an inconsistency. According to James, man uses the tongue to curse other men. Those men created in the image of God and men uses, use the same tongue to bless God. And so James extends the curse of man to God in application for man is made after the likeness of God. Folks, mankind, both men and women, created in God's image and after God's likeness are still image bearers of God. And from these scripture citations, they're before you on the screen, you've captured them in your notes, we conclude that man is still in the image of God. Okay, but what is the image of God in man? And since the scriptures don't offer us an explicit description or definition of that image, theologians have compiled various explanations, and so I offer you number two, suggested explanations for this quality of being created in the image of of God. Let me provide some historic explanations for the image of God in, in man, and I've copied this for you in your notes, beginning with John Calvin, the great Bible teacher from the Protestant Reformation. He wrote, the proper seat of the image is in the soul. The image of God is spiritual as opposed to physical. 
And so when you think of the image of God, do not think of male biology or female biology of the physical creation of man, but think of something immaterial. John chapter four, verse 24 tells us that God is a spirit, therefore God's image in man is something immaterial. Man is like God because man is a living soul. There are immaterial qualities. Another theologian, Charles Hodge of Princeton Theological Seminary, in years gone by, he argued the same. The essential attributes of a spirit are reason, conscience, and will. In making man after his own image, therefore God endowed him with those attributes which belong to his own nature as a spirit. So the image of God in man is an immaterial matter, not a physical matter. Finally then, I offer what Lewis Sperry Schaefer of, of Dallas Seminary wrote in his Systematic Theology, two exceedingly important truths. He says, emerge from the vast array of theological writings regarding that image in which man was created. Namely, first, letter A, he says that fallen man bears the inalienable image of God. Every one of us here this morning have been created in the image of God in spite of the fall of man, in spite of our own sin and the curse. Secondly, he says that man is injured by the fall to the extent that only redeeming grace can rescue him. Folks, this morning we sang of God's grace. It is God's grace that restores us to that image which points us to theological implications. The theological implications, don't lose me just yet, I know we're plowing hard, but when we seek to understand the significance of who we are as men and women, of who we are as created mankind, as we we think of this designation, we are mindful of other theological indications that that we might glean from the scriptures. First, that Jesus Christ was also declared to be the image and the likeness of God. I'll give you some scripture references here quickly. Jesus is the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4.4. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 describes Jesus as the express image of his person. In dialogue with Philip, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen my father. Okay, is that a, a physical resemblance, a physical likeness? No, as the perfect sinless man. Jesus Christ was the perfect image bearer of God. Therefore, for our purposes this morning, rather than comparing and contrasting man to animal in an effort to understand how man is created different or or describing the image of God in man, rather, man ought to look to Jesus Christ Because Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God. And there's great indication that that image of God in man is not a static quality. For the Bible teaches us that we need to be progressively renewed now back to that image or restored to that image of God. I'll just give you some scripture references here. You can capture these in the the margin. Romans 8, verse 29, I think you know these well. To whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
Another, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the Lord. Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10 describe the transformation that takes place when the believer puts off the old man, puts on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. I'll give you Ephesians 5 verse number 1 commands the believers to be imitators or imagers of God. And similarly, the apostle Paul wrote, be followers or imitators of me even as I am of Christ. And so whatever was marred or damaged or lost in the fall, and it's real and it's big, the sin and the curse, that image is fully restored by God's grace through Jesus Christ. And, and so I would submit to you that the image of God in man is the total reflection of God's person and character. Remember, this is not a material likeness, but an immaterial image and likeness of God in his, persons, in his person. So for example, man has a will to choose to make decisions. Man has an emotion for love and hate and jealousy. Man has capacities to know and understand and learn. In the fall, we did not lose these immaterial attributes, but they were damaged, they were perverted by sin. So man's ability to choose was corrupted by the fall. And man became a slave to sin and, and the flesh. Man's emotion for love and hate and jealousy became lust and murder and sinful envy. Man's ability for knowledge created rationalism and intellectual pride. And so all of these qualities, immaterial qualities in which God created us, those things have been perverted by the fall. And so consequently, they need to be renewed and restored to the full image of God. And that can occur, Paul says, I would give you the Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10 reference there, renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. And the grammar there in in Colossians 3.10 suggests a progressive, continual action, being renewed. Ephesians 4 uses the very same theme. And you put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. I think uh, another Bible scholar helps us this man, Anthony Hokema, was a, a professor of systematic theology in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he wrote a book on this matter. He says this, the fact that the new self is said to be progressively renewed after the image of its creator implies that though that man, through his fall into sin, has so corrupted the original image that it must be restored in the process of redemption, you see. God created man and woman, mankind, Adam and Eve in the garden. And his creation was very good. Because of sin, that image was not lost, but it was corrupted. Now we look at Jesus Christ, the perfect image and likeness of God in sinless holiness. And we are called as New Testament believers to be renewed after the likeness of Jesus Christ and after God our, our Father. And, and so the weight of Scripture and the weight of these arguments, we've, we're doing theology this morning, it suggests this conclusion. 
And I don't have it for you printed in your notes. It's there on the screen. I don't have a picture from a great theologian who wrote this because, because I wrote this. This is, this is my effort at summarizing all that I've just explained. And it's this. An immaterial resemblance of the creator was applied to man at creation. However, the fall in the garden so cursed the image-bearing quality that no human achievement could serve as a remedy. In Jesus Christ, man is positionally restored, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, the image of God is progressively renewed. Folks, that's the best that this amateur theologian, this pastor can do, but I want to read it again because this resonates, of course, with, with me. I hope it's helpful to you. An immaterial resemblance of the creator was applied to man at creation. However, the fall in the garden so cursed the image-bearing quality that no human achievement can serve as a remedy. There are, there, there's no amount of good works and human effort that can make us like God in our sinful fallen condition. In Jesus Christ, man is positionally restored, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, the image of God is progressively renewed. Ultimately, we know for the believer, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And and we think then of the the glorification that we will receive at that point. But this is the, the perfecting of the image of God in man. Now, let me catch my breath and suggest number four, Practical implications or practical applications is perhaps the word you would prefer. And folks, this is when our biblical theology informs our practical activity. This is now where our Christian worldview becomes real. We have read the scripture. We have, we have studied the scripture. We understand the citations and all of the indications And then we ask ourselves, what does this look like in real life? The Bible's teaching on this subject, what does this do for us and what does it demand for us who are human beings and how we treat other human beings? Now, you'll notice, those of you that are following in the notes I've provided, there are no more subpoints. There are no more blanks to fill in. But there's a lot of white space. And I want you to put in that white space the applications and the implications of the image of God and man. I I don't have this for you on the screen, but I'll, I'll give you some suggestions. What about, of course, the sanctity of human life? The sanctity of human life. Murder is sin and deserving of capital punishment because man is the image bearer of God. This includes murder at the beginning of life, we call it abortion, and at the end of life, we call it euthanasia. And folks, this is not a political issue, it's a biblical issue, because man is created in the image of God. Life matters. Another application or implication of this truth. Any form of racism or discrimination is wrong because every man and woman has been created in the image of God. Folks, that is not a social issue. That is a biblical issue. 
Let me give you another. Any evil speaking, slander, or libel of one another is wrong because every man has been created in the image of God. And and this is not a relational issue. This is a biblical issue. Folks, how do we treat children? How do we treat women? How do we treat the disabled, the poor, the immigrant, the employee, the foreigner, any and every category or or class of people that, that you can create has value because they are image bearers of God. This is a biblical worldview. This is a Christian worldview. And this informs us of how we ought to interact with one another as human beings. Let me give you another. How about ourselves? How do you view yourself? What is your self-image? You were created in the image of God. And you can be restored to that image through Jesus Christ who loves you and gave himself for you. Folks, we have, we have unwittingly adopted the world view of secularism, of humanism, that sees man through a different lens, a lens of evolution, as highly evolved and developed animals. And consequently, human society is a wreck but I offer to you what the Bible teaches beginning in Genesis chapter one. God created man and woman in his image and restores men and women to that image through the person of Jesus Christ. I hope that as you look in the mirror, and as you look across this room, and as you interact with your fellow human being, that your heart is enlarged with a love and a care for them because each one, from the infant to the elderly, every man and woman, regardless of their condition, their position, is an image bearer of Almighty God. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for creating us in your image after your likeness, of giving us those immaterial qualities that reflect you. Lord, we know that in the fall, because of our sin, those qualities are are corrupted and so we look to Jesus Christ, the very image and likeness of our Holy Father. We pray that your spirit would continue the work that he's begun in us, conforming us again to that image. God, I pray that we might be people that exercise and apply these truths in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our culture. God, knowing that you love your creation, and when we look at the rest of creation, the the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the things that you have put in the heavens and on this earth, we say, what is man that you are mindful of us? And that is because your creation of man was very, very good. We thank you for this in Jesus' name I pray, amen.